The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 863 for Monday, March 29th, 2021. <laughs> Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your tips. We share your tips. You send in your questions. We answer your questions, or at least we try to. You send in your cool stuff found. We share that. We share our own cool stuff found. We share our own tips. The goal is for each of us, you, me, him, everybody here, to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Otherworld Computing with uh, their Thunderbolt Dock. I know, generic name, specific product. We'll talk more about what that is a little bit later. And Amazon Pharmacy, where you can learn more at amazon.com slash MGGRX, right? MGG, it's pretty good, right? And we'll talk a little bit about World Backup Day because, uh, because that's happening this week. I believe it's happening on Wednesday of this week on March 31st. If that's incorrect, it doesn't matter. We're still going to talk about backups and uh, dissect some of that this episode. So that's that's what's on the agenda here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fearful, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? Fantastic. Lantastic, even. Although we don't use Lantastic anymore, thank goodness. All right, um, let's do this. Let's get into this. Let's start with some quick tips. You want to take us to Andrew, my friend? Yes. So Andrew says, thank you for the show, longtime listener, but usually several episodes behind. I recently found a solution that quickly resolved a problem on my 2019 iMac running Mojave. Yes, I like trailing edge Mac OS because it's stable. That's a good point. In recent weeks, I've been using a pair of Tozo T10 IPX8 Bluetooth earbuds on my iMac, primarily for privacy on Zoom calls. These roads provide good sound and my quality for the price and the case recharges via wireless charging. I also got their inexpensive wireless charger. Okay. And we got some links for those. Yep. Um, it appears that using these earbuds confused my iMac, iMac's core audio function because I lost about 60% of my sound volume, both through my connected speakers and the iMac's internal speakers. A web search led me to the solution on... Um, man, we have a link to an article. Okay. Um, the, the, there are several steps. I think the core step that kind of gets things back to normal is you do a pseudo kill all on car core audio D, which is the audio process that handles audio. So. Interesting. And, and what he lost 60% of his volume and resetting core audio D fixed that. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, cool. We'll put that um we'll put that command that sudo kill all core audio d in the show notes as well. That's um I never I never even thought to do that. That seems dangerous to me, but obviously if if he's been able to do it and it works, that's great. Huh. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. All right, cool. Thanks, Andrew. That's great. Cool. All right. Uh, Lou brings us a quick tip that fits right in to World Backup Day. And that is that uh, he says, um, uh, let me get to where it is here. Oh, he says, um, when booting from a clone created by Carbon Copy Cloner, 
immediate connection to the internet can cause some issues that I just don't want to deal with. Uh, I don't want to be bothered by app updates and perhaps even some syncing. I don't want to have happen. My fix was to create a shell script that turns Wi-Fi off before the backup process begins. And then another one that turns Wi-Fi back on after it completes. It works like a charm because Wi-Fi is off when I boot from the clone. So let's think about what he's done here. He turns Wi-Fi off on his Mac. He then has his Mac create the clone and it's creating a clone of a Mac with Wi-Fi disabled. And then when uh, carbon copy cloner finishes, it turns Wi-Fi back on so that his Mac has Wi-Fi when he returns to it. Now, this only works if there's a couple of things are true. Number one is that the clone is happening when you're not using the, your Mac or at least not using the Internet. And then number two is that this happens when uh someone else isn't using something on your Mac. So your Mac isn't using being used for file sharing or printer sharing or any of those types of things. But assuming those to be true, that's actually a great idea because I've often had that issue where it's like, Oh, I want to boot from a clone. Not so much in recent years. It hasn't been as much of an issue, but I've definitely had it in the past where uh, it's like, Oh, when I boot from the clone, you know, pull the ethernet cable or whatever that is. So yeah, that's pretty good. What do you think about that, John? Okay. Okay. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Lou posted these in our uh, forums, but we will put the, we will put the commands in the forums if he has not. That's a, that's a great one. Thanks Lou. I like it. I like it. I like it. All right. You want to take us to Gary, John? Yes. Awesome. I was editing here, but let's go to. Uh, there he is. Great. Gary. <clears throat> Got him? Yep. Um, I just did a chat with William at Apple. My question was whether or not it was safe to charge an Apple Watch via the hockey puck charger, but using the USB port in my vehicle. He said yes. Good to know for a long road trip or camping in a rest area and needing to charge a watch. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, there's I see right. no reason. It's five volts, right? So as long as as long as the charger in your vehicle is reliable, right? You got a problem with a uh like a aftermarket Ugh. vehicle charger that blew up what several devices of yours, right? Uh yeah, a couple. Yeah. Uh yeah. And when I opened it up, uh, there was some chip that it actually had a hole burned out of it. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to guess it was the voltage regulator and that's why it blew everything up because I think I, I suspect it was feeding 12 volts, yeah. uh, which is car voltage versus five volts, which is what USB should be. At least USB A right. should be only five volts. Of course, USB C can be all sorts of different voltages, right? It, it, it With power delivery. That's right. But usually that's negotiated. It starts at five and then we'll only send more if uh, everyone agrees that it, it can take more. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Listener Ben uh, has a quick tip for us. He says, uh, Eclectic Light posted a useful article last year about how to reset home folder permissions. Some related issues are Microsoft Office documents opening as read only uh, and the inability to save Office documents in certain folders or needing to authenticate in the finder to move files. 
and even iCloud Drive failing to sync desktop and documents folders. All of these issues are wrapped up in corrupt home folder permissions. In prior versions of Mac OS, one could run disk util repair ter permissions in terminal via recovery or reach an option to reset ACLs and other recovery area areas. Uh, as of late versions of Catalina and, of course, beyond in Big Sur, the reset process has become even easier and doesn't require recovery mode at all. Instead, all you need to do is open terminal when logged in normally and run a disk util command, which, of course, we will put in the show notes so that you don't have to try and remember it when uh, when when but when listening. But it's disk util reset user permissions. And then you set the ID with a with sort of a, a, a pass through command. Um, but, but it's it's all right there in the show notes. He says it shouldn't take long for the process to run. And then all of the issues above uh, that he mentioned are instantly resolved. So thank you, Ben. I like it. That's good. I like that we're getting these things. I love the quick tips. That's a that's a great that one I gotta save. Cause I'm not gonna remember the command. None of us are. <laughs> but um but that one we gotta save somewhere. That's good. Cool. Cool. Hey, if you have a quick tip for us or a question or anything, send it to us. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. We'd love to have it. You heard you heard them right. Feedback at MacGeekab.com. That is correct. Feedback at MacGeekab.com, John. I believe that's what we said. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, we have some quick tips that come from prior episodes, John, back in 862, uh, we were talking about, uh, Rob gave us a quick tip on how to set the audio output, uh, on an Apple TV by holding down the TV key and choosing it in the new control center. Uh, as Tim points out, that sets it for the present session, but to set a default audio output on your Apple TV, go to settings, video and audio default audio output this in turn can be temporarily overridden following rob's suggestion with the control center but the default will be unchanged the next time you go to watch tv my default is to set it to my stereo pair of home pods uh but uh but you know he says he'll temporarily route the sound to his airpods pro if he wants to listen that way awesome thank you tim that's that's great i uh it's nice to kind of put a button on that one so yeah it's good I love I love the ongoing conversations it, it, like iterating on on our knowledge base here is a good thing. So good. Yeah. Thoughts on that, John, before we move on to no, I'll have to uh, mess with that. Not that I need to. I don't really have any output routing issues, but sure. It's always good to know, like sometimes because then, you know, you you. Like, like you said, if you, even if you don't have issues knowing that these things exist when you're in that moment of like, oh, I really wish I could mm -hmm. listen, for example, on my AirPods. It's like, wait, I know how to do that. I heard it on the show. So, or I read it on the show. There's times where it's like, wait, a listener told us how to do a thing. I know how to do it now. Um, all right. Um, Steve brings us something that, that probably is related to our um, backup, our upcoming backup conversation. He says, uh, Listening on last episode about troubleshooting and moving a Big Sur installation, Dave, you said, um, uh, Dave and Mike from the show uh, stated that you could boot the M1 Mac Mini from an external drive. I wasn't aware that you could boot an M1 from an external. Uh, and when I've tried to make bootable clones by selecting the source Macintosh HD, I was only able to clone the data volume on my M1 Macs. I wanted to find out what I was doing wrong so I won't get caught. So I emailed Mike Bombick at Carbon Copy Cloner 
to get clarification. And he says the Big Sur system volume can only be copied by Apple's ASR utility now. And that utility does not currently work on Apple Silicon Macs. Carbon Copy Cloner will automatically proceed with a data volume backup when backing those up. Uh, that's a complete backup of your data applications and system settings. Can you make a backup bootable, though? Yes. If you would like to make that backup bootable, you can then install Big Sur onto the Carbon Copy Cloner data volume backup. So you do the clone first. It gets the data volume only. Then you install Big Sur onto that. Please keep in mind, however, Mike says, that your Carbon Copy Cloner backup does not have to be bootable for you to be able to restore data from it. So that's important to remember. Uh, and and Mike sort of goes on and says, this is Mike at, uh, at, at Bombic Software with Carbon Copy Cloner. We envision a day when Apple won't allow the system volume to be copied at all, and possibly a day when Apple doesn't support external boot either, we have to adapt to Apple's changes every year, and we haven't dropped the ball on that adaptation in 20 years. This is the biggest change yet, and we're gearing up for our biggest change in response. As a Mac user, I'm not happy about losing a valuable troubleshooting option, but as a developer, I'm happy to be able to spend more time working on features that people want from their backups. And uh, listener Steve, who sent that along, also sent along an article from uh, Howard Oakley, uh, also at Eclectic Light, which we referenced uh, earlier in the show here. That booting from an M1 Mac is is it possible? And he's got some uh, some some notes about how that can be done too. So we'll put that link in the show notes. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Steve. That's great, um, great stuff. It's, it's it it sort of makes sense, um, and I'm glad that it is doable from an external drive. I hope that remains. I hope Mike is wrong about that, but. Uh, Mike is rarely wrong because Mike is often well-informed. And so uh, it might make sense that that's the direction Apple's heading in. Anyway, there you go. What do you think, John? Thoughts? Um, I had to make a bootable backup recently. so. But you don't have an M1, right? You're just on a... Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but even with that... <clears throat> It said, oh, if you want this bootable, um, I got to do a couple of things. Is that okay? Right. So uh, I yeah. do like that. Yeah, that is normal. Right. Because it needs to create that system volume and move some things around. So that does, mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, Mike has a tip on a tip. Uh, Mike says, recently you had a tip about ejecting drives using control command E instead of command E. Uh, and the, what that does, Command E will bring up, if you have multiple volumes on a drive, it will bring up that prompt that you might have seen that remove or that asks you, do you want to eject all disks or just the one you were on? He says, uh, but that's a lot of keys to press. He says, so I built a very simple keyboard maestro macro for use in the finder only, which is a very cool thing about keyboard maestro. You can compartmentalize its actions to specific apps only. And he says, now when I type command E, it types control command E for me. So essentially what he did is he just built a hotkey command that only works when the finder is in the front and the hotkey is command E. And what it does is it types a keystroke in response, which is control command E. So that way, when he does command E in the finder, it only ejects the volume that he has selected and it doesn't prompt him about anything, which is kind of nice. So I like it. Thanks, Mike. That's good. I love these little tips. This is, this is what I live for. I don't know. It's good. All right. Uh, Cliff has one last one from one of the recent episodes. 
he was having an issue where um, his, I guess we talked about this in a recent episode where his external drive was just running constantly. And he asked, should he get an SSD or should he not? And he did some sleuthing with the LSOF command to figure out that it was related to his photos library. We made the assumption that it was related to the indexing of his photos library. And we recommended maybe app tamer uh, for, you know, keeping that at bay. Well, Cliff wrote back and says, I think I solved my problem. I was doing some research and some article uh, made me think about Google backup. Sure enough, I had that installed and didn't even know it. I found an article on how to clean it out of the system and my external hard drive has been peaceful all day. So Google backup will, I think by default, pull, like pull your photos library and back that up to, uh, to Google. So, I mean, if you want that, then great. But in his case, it was causing him more harm than good. So, uh, so yeah, so there you go. Thanks for that, Cliff. Google backup. That's, uh, it will do that. And again, that, that might not be a bad thing, but depending on how you're managing your photos mm. library, it could be, it could be a problem. So, oh. Any thoughts on that, my friend, before we move on to the next things we have to do here? Yeah, sometimes a backup of a backup isn't a bad idea, right? Right. I, I think <laughs> I, I think the problem here might be, I think Cliff has iCloud Photos library, right? So mm. if he's got his iCloud Photos library syncing essentially that folder of stuff, and then also Google syncing that folder of stuff, it's possible that you've got these two things sort of fighting against each other. I don't know how he mm -hmm. had the Google thing set or whatever, but you know, for example, iCloud drive will not sync your Dropbox folder, right? Unless you really force it to, because that would be potentially create a, you know, a loop of a never ending loop of, of changes. So yeah. All right. Uh, we have our world backup day conversation. We have some questions and things to get through. The next thing I want to do is tell you about our two sponsors, if that uh, if that works for you, Mr. Braun. Please do. All right. Our first sponsor is one of our favorites. It is Otherworld Computing. And this week I get to talk about the OWC Thunderbolt dock. Yeah, I know. We talked about it in the show last week because it helped solve one of your problems, right? Like that's what we do here on the show is we recommend solutions. And that Thunderbolt dock that they've got. So I know they've had... A few. So let me explain and make sure we all understand what this is. The OWC Thunderbolt dock, that's its name, has four Thunderbolt ports. So one upstream to your computer and then three. So this is one of those things that can do the Thunderbolt hubbing that Big Sur brings to us Mac users, right? On top of that, it's got four USB ports as well as an SD card reader, gigabit Ethernet, and combo audio in and out. So with this Thunderbolt hubbing, with those three downstream Thunderbolt ports, you can connect a different dock or a drive without it. You know, I mean, it will end that part of the chain, but you still got two others to use, which is making a huge difference for me here in the studio to be able to do this. This is what I've got here. And it makes a huge difference. You can just plug it all in and really reimagine that daisy chain. Plus, if you're on a laptop, that host port allows you to charge your notebook with 90 watts of power delivery. So you can charge it as fast as it'll, as fast as it's allowed to charge is really what it comes down to. And of course, those USB ports, you can charge through those too. Gigabit Ethernet, if you, if you need that and you don't have it, like on your laptop, well, boom, now you've got it. Very cool thing. And, uh, and it's available. They've got them in stock now. 
and you can order them. They are shipping and they're just $249. So go check it out, maxsales.com. Our thanks to Max Sales for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Amazon Pharmacy. You've used Amazon Prime. I certainly have. And Amazon Prime works great. Things just get to me so fast. I mean, usually faster than I even expect. And I kind of expect a lot, but they over deliver. It's fantastic. On top of that, now you've got your prescriptions through Amazon Pharmacy being delivered with Amazon Prime because as an Amazon Prime member, we get free two-day delivery and we can save on our prescription medication when we're paying without insurance. But you can use your insurance too. And it's fantastic. You just send your prescriptions into them. You can even have your doctors send your prescriptions straight to them. Uh, and, and then that's it. You don't have to go to the pharmacy. You do it all with the very familiar Amazon interface and you don't have to go out. It just get it shows up. You don't have to think about it. It's fantastic. They've really figured out how to do this. And it's just simple, easy, and saves you time. So go check it out. Amazon Prime members can save on prescription medication when not using insurance and get free two-day delivery. And you can learn more at Amazon.com slash MGGRX. That's Amazon.com slash MGGRX. Amazon.com slash MGGRX. Our thanks to Amazon Pharmacy for sponsoring this episode. All right, let's talk backups, my friend. Let's, um, I, the, the, so what I want to do, John, is let's share and dissect our current backup strategies and see if there's something we can improve upon for ourselves. And hopefully in, the, in that conversation, we will be able to help some folks out there dissect and improve upon their own. Of course, you can always tell us about yours and we can answer some questions about that. So uh, you, you, shall I go first? You want to go first? How are we going to do this? I think you need to reset your thing. Um, I think you are many I'll seconds behind right in me. here. Okay. So I, I will let you reset your connection to me here, John, because, because you're... I, something happened with the audio between us. So John will be right back and then we will do this and we will have John dive right in as soon as he's back. Welcome back. So All dive right. right in my friend, go. All right. So two machines that I back up MacBook pro and Mac mini both have a one terabyte SSD. Okay. And they're both running big sir. So first thing for both. And actually I do the same thing on both machines. And I'm going to tell you what it is. Um, time machine. Uh, time machine from one goes to one of my Synologies. Time machine from the other goes to the other Synology. Okay. So I distribute the backups. I also do a carbon copy cloner backup of both, uh, doing different scheduling um, more often on the Mini than on the MacBook Pro. Sure. Um, but yeah, so I do that. Um, now, uh, what, what I do with Time Machine, though, is that I will... Yeah, so let me reiterate what I do there on the MacBook pro, because that's my daily driver. I'll have it set, do a backup when inactive, which you set with a time machine editor. Okay. Um, on this, on the Mac mini, I actually schedule it, uh, to do it at like 2am or 3am. And because, uh, there, there's something called power nap. It'll do that. Right. That so, makes sense. Yeah, sure. All right. So carbon copy cloner, I went over that. Um, Here's another one that uh, may not be obvious, uh, iCloud Drive. 
Okay. Um, I have it set up where my desktop and documents is stored in iCloud Drive. So that is an offsite backup, if you will. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the cloud. And then I also use Synology Drive. So Synology has a utility that'll sync um, content from your machine to a repository on the Synology. And I do that also on both machines. Um, I used to use OneDrive for photos because they had a pretty good deal, but I, and I was telling you, I'm, uh, you know, changing things. I actually took that off of the machines because I'm not using it anymore. At one point I did, it backed up my camera roll on my uh, iOS device, Okay, but I use iCloud photos. So I figure it's kind of redundant. Sure. Um, Dropbox I'll use to like shuttle things back and forth every now and then. I used to back up one of my, I used to back up my documents folder to that, but because iCloud Drive does it, I don't really do that anymore, but I still use it for scratch space or okay. when I want to move things back and forth. Sometimes it's the easiest way to do it rather than like, you know, putting it on a drive or something like that or, sure. or even file sharing. Um, Synology has something called hyper backup. So here's the other thing that I do is I take all the data uh, that I just described to you and I hyper backup from one Synology, all of the data and put it in a repository on the other one as well. So my Synologies are backing up to the other one. Smart. Okay. <laughs> no, that's smart. Yeah. So it's, so it's a, it's, it's really redundant. Um, the only other thing I want to mention for backup is, um, Keep in mind your iDevices. Make sure backup is set up on your iDevices. It may not be. Uh, it'll yell at you if it can't do a backup to the cloud after like two weeks. And actually, that just happened with my iPad because the battery had run down. So yep. it didn't. Yep. Um, but remember your iDevices. So iDevices, I schedule both the backup to iCloud. I don't really do a manual one that often. And then um, iMazing, of course, I use that. So I have a redundant backup. Um, okay, so you keep a, a cloud iDevices. cloud backup of your iDevices and then to, to Apple's cloud and and mm -hmm. then an amazing backup to some local volume of your own. Yes, got it. Got and, it. Uh, and that's my gig. So as I'm thinking about this and I may have missed something, so forgive me. Do you have a cloud backup? of your max data is that iCloud no. drive no you don't okay all right okay no well not not the whole thing the the data yes because it's my, my documents folder which is so of course you got to put your documents in there um right. <laughs> those get moved to the cloud but no i do not have a clone in the cloud, sure. which I think is what you're asking. No, I was asking about a clone in the cloud is is almost useless uh, because you can't boot from the cloud, right? So really, it is just your your data. So what you're doing with iCloud Drive now, it is important to at least acknowledge the distinction between backup and sync, as PJ in the chat room uh, at live.macgeekab.com points out. iCloud Drive is primarily a sync engine, not a backup engine. Uh, there are some versioning things that sort of happen with iCloud drive, but it, you know, if you were to manually delete something that starts to get tricky to get back, right? It, so user but sync protects us from, I, I like to say that sync is good for fault tolerance. It's not 
necessarily so good for user error where you intentionally or unintentionally delete something and then realize, oh, I want that back. So, um, so just folks bear that in mind as you're, as, you know, as you're kind of pulling that together. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else on yours. Well, we'll talk, I'll, I'll talk no, to you. You, you, you actually, you, you bring up a good point in that each of these backup methods to a certain degree has some versioning. Right. I think it's just like, worth mentioning, and maybe I'm, I'm just rewording what you said, but, you know, Time Machine does, duh. <laughs> uh, Carbon Copy Cloner kind of does. If you uh, turn on safety they do have. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, iCloud Drive, I don't think really does any sort of versioning, but it, you, it, I believe you can typically recover things that were deleted if you do it through the web interface usually. Right. I, I, yes. I, it, there's some limited amount of time where that happens, but yes, that's right. That's right. And then the other ones I mentioned, OneDrive, I don't know if it really does versioning. Dropbox definitely does. Sure. If, if you go through their web interface, you can look at things that have changed. So yes, that's right. Just that's something right. to consider is that at least one of your backup tools that, and also hyper backup on the Synology also does versioning as well. That's right. Um, Yep. That's right. So, yeah. Cool. All right. So let's see, um, here in the studio, like you, I do a uh, time machine backup to disk station and then a carbon copy cloner clone to my, um, OWC Envoy pro EX, which is a Thunderbolt drive. And I highlight the type of drive because I think it's important. You need a Thunderbolt capable Mac of booting a Thunderbolt drive, right? When you're doing a clone, um, in the office, I do time machine to the disk station, carbon copy cloner to my uh, a USB drive. It's actually a four terabyte glyph atom raid SSD. And uh, and that way, you know, it's bootable on on USB Max too, which is good. On on my uh, iMac in the office, that's where I save full copies of my or I, I sync down full copies of my music and photos library. So I do a nightly clone with carbon copy cloner of my music library to a folder on my disk station. And that's so that Plex can see my music library in its, you know, unadultered form. Plex then does its own indexing on that. Uh, I do a weekly copy of my, the originals folder fold folder inside my photos library. Say that 10 times faster, perhaps even once, uh, and that is, I do that to a folder on my disk station uh, so that I can have uh, moments, which is the current photos management uh, engine on the disk station, uh, index my photos and do its thing with those. Um, it's a little tricky. What I had to do, John, is you have to right click on your photos library and choose show package contents. And then from there, there is an originals or masters folder. Um, it has changed over the years, but, um, but I then had to make an alias of that and pull that alias out to the root level of my hard drive. So essentially uh, on par with, or at the same level as the photos library itself. And then I could point carbon copy cloner at that alias of the originals slash masters folder and that now, you know, pokes inside the library and only pulls 
the originals, not all of the thumbnails that photos creates and all the other stuff that I don't want to sync over. But but that works fairly well. And then I also use iCloud for photos and uh, for my music library. So those are not only synced to my other Macs, but in theory, you know, stored in the cloud. Uh, on my M1 laptop, I am not doing a clone uh, because of a lot of the reasons we just talked about earlier in the episode. I am doing Time Machine to a disk station, so I don't have a clone of that per se. But everything that's on there is synced. Uh, for my documents, I use Synology's cloud station. Oh, sorry. Used to be cloud station. Now it's Synology Drive. So that keeps my documents synced amongst all of my Macs and my disk station. So thus far, I have talked about how I have copies of everything, but none of them so far have left my home or office. And that's bad because you want the cloud involved. So like you, John, I also use Hyper Backup um, to clone a lot of my data, including my movies library from one disk station to another. Now they sit right on top of each other. So if one were to say, you know, melt in a fire, the other one would almost certainly melt in that fire. And then I take my important data on my Synology, which would include my Synology drive, which has all of my files, uh, my photos, but not my movies. Cause it's just too big. And I back those up offsite to Synology C2 uh, backup uh, or cloud engine. But I could I could back those up to, you know, uh, like Amazon cloud or whatever you want like that. That's um, that's, you know, totally doable with uh, hyper backup that it, it supports a lot of different things. But uh, but I just happen to be using Synology's engine. Um, it seems to be the least expensive one for the amount of data that I'm backing up and how I'm backing up. I think it costs me, I want to say 60 or 70 bucks a year for a terabyte, um, which isn't so bad. Yeah. I think, I think I have, I think I have two terabytes with them. So, you know, so I'm paying whatever that is, 130, 140 bucks a year or something mm -hmm. like that. So the only thing I've been thinking of John is, you know, time machine routinely, barfs up for me uh you know at least once a year if not more i'm needing to you know let it rebuild and etc etc now that was before big sur 11.1 when and if you if you create a time machine backup with big sur after you have uh 11.1 so if you inherited a backup from Catalina or even an earlier, you know, 11.0 build of Big Sur, this is not the case. But if you create one fresh from 11.1 further, it will use APFS for the disk image that it's storing on your network volume. And maybe certainly it's taking advantage of some of the snapshotting and things like that, that that can happen with an APFS, which is great. Maybe it's more reliable. It hasn't been long enough since whatever November for me to say yeah, it lasted a year because it hasn't been a year. Might have felt like a year. It hasn't been a year. So, um, so that like it, it, it's hard to say. I have been thinking for a while of using Arc from Haystack Software to back up to my disk station instead of Time Machine. It'll do all the versioning. It'll just save files out there. So I'm I'm sort of wondering if maybe that's a better option just because it's a little less you know, contained inside of the Apple box. 
you know, when you go to restore from time machine, it takes a minute for it to like index things and you get to deal with that crazy interface and all that. So I am, I'm thinking about moving to arc. And then of course, you know, you can use arc to back up to Amazon, uh, you know, Amazon's cloud or, or lots of other clouds too, for your offsite backups as well. So I don't use Backblaze anymore, John. I used to, and um, hmm. I think I think my subscription expired or something, and I I wound up not renewing it. Uh, I didn't. I don't know that there was anything wrong with it, but I I think it was at a time where I was fighting with some resource overutilization on my Mac, and thought, okay, well, let's strip out everything, including like Backblaze, which is going to just run all the time. Um, and, and so it, you know, but I, obviously I have, I sort of have that covered in, in different ways here, but, um, but yeah, my, my Synology is definitely at the core of my backup strategy here. I mean, I do have the, the clone drives that are just hanging off my, my various, uh, devices, but, um, yeah, I don't know. So thoughts on, uh, thoughts on that. What am I, what am I missing? Uh, one last tip or one nuance, yeah. um, Doing Time Machine on um, on my MacBook Pro, I don't back everything up. Um, and there's ways to exclude certain things. Sure. Um, I will exclude the, the largest files, which at least in my world, are either my photo library, which is like 140 gigs. Right. Um, and also uh, parallel virtual machines, which are typically on the order of tens of gigs. Okay. Um, because I found every now and then they're not too smart about how much of the file has changed. So they'll, and I haven't verified this in a while, but last I did, it was like taking forever. I'm like, I changed a little thing in this file. Why are you backing up the entire file? Right. Huh. I don't know if you have any knowledge about the nuances of that, but um, so, so I, I exclude uh, pretty much anything that's over like 10 you know, if it's in the tens or hundreds of gigs, then I typically exclude it from Time Machine. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, yeah. it's getting backed up other ways anyways. Right, right, right. Yep, that makes sense. I like it. I like it. Yeah. In the uh, chat room, Kiwi Graham says that uh, he uses Arc to back up to his free OneDrive storage. So he has whatever their free, you know, amount of cloud storage is. And he, that, he uses that as his cloud destination. And he uses Arc from Haystack to... Um, to do it. Arc is spelled A R Q. Of course, we've got a link in the show notes for you, but, uh, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Alex is asking you, John, in the chat room, how you back up your photos to the cloud. I think I know the answer, but I don't think you articulated it during your, your path. You use iCloud photos, right? Uh, no, I probably didn't. Uh, so one, so it's, uh, it's part of my clones. Right. So when I do a CCC clone, that backs up everything on the drive, including the photo library. Makes sense. And then it's stored in the cloud. Via iCloud photos, right. So when in, in, on one machine, uh, but no, it's a good question. You know, you want to think you're uh, right, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, uh, reset yourself. You're, you're many seconds behind again. I'm curious, did you, uh, well, I'll ask you when you get back. But this is good. This is good. Thanks, everybody. This has been excellent um, for sure. 
Yeah. And you're right, Kiwi Graham, that Parallels used to have bands that would allow Time Machine to work better. But uh, but that's not the case anymore. So, yeah. John, I'm curious, had had my audio dropped out for you and did you do a reset of that? I'm curious what's causing these delays. Okay, Hmm. so clearly, however, you're resetting the audio is adding seconds to the delays now, Hmm. which we'll have to report back. So, yeah, yeah. So it resets it, but adds time, which doesn't surprise me because if I reset your connection from here, it also adds time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right. Um, David. Well, all right. So I think we're, I think we're good with, with our backup conversations. Obviously I'm sure you, I mean, if we already had like four different things from the chat room, I know some of you listening have thoughts. So I know we said it before, but feedback at MacGeekCab.com. Or if you're a MacGeekCab premium listener, premium at MacGeekCab.com would be the place to send your comments. All right. Let's move. Let's answer some questions. Shall we? You want to do David, John? Let's give it a shot. David says, I spoke too soon after leaving the computer on overnight and the issue is back. What's the issue? You may ask. Well, he's telling to tell us. To recap below, I have a 2017, 27-inch, uh, I'm going to assume iMac. <laughs> that would make um, sense. Running Big Sur. The users on the login screen have moved from the center, which he spells the other way. Okay. Um, uh, Doesn't to matter. To the left-hand <laughs> side of the login screen. No, it just caught my eye. Got it. Whenever I see spellings. Um, yeah, and he gave us a screenshot, and sure enough, um, both of the users on the machine are all the way on the left. I mean, it still looks like they're readable. Readable and um, clickable. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of annoying. Um, although I cannot really live with this. Oh, wait. Um, uh, clicking on either will slide them to the center of the screen for password entry and back again should I select the other user. Okay, so he, so he can get in. All right. Okay. Uh, to try to correct this, I have reset the SMC and PRAM, installed additional accounts, A and Z, in an attempt to reset whatever P list is controlling this. Um, this action. Finally, it made no difference. I reinstalled Big Sur. Um, yeah, well, sometimes, yeah, uh, filing the OS can get corrupt. So, uh, yeah, I, I've done that every now and then, and it's, it's cleared up some things. Yeah, but, uh, it takes a while. Uh, although I cannot really live with this, is there any suggestions you have to hopefully fix this? I haven't remained uh, either account as you suggested with Linux. Both accounts have the same issue. I really don't want to make things worse. Okay, um, let's see where to go here. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, resetting, you know, all those chips and reinstalling Mac OS. Uh, all I can think is safe mode. Safe mode sometimes clears up uh, startup weirdness. I think it forces rebuild of certain things like that. Sure. Otherwise, um, Onyx. Yeah. It, it could be a, a cache, maybe like a system level cache or something. Maybe or a system level P list, which I think, uh, depending on what you choose in uh, Onyx, it can clear those things up. Uh, the only one is that they do have a specific screen, Onyx parameters and there are a couple that have to do dave with the login window really? so huh. fiddle with the yeah and i think it's a radio button or, or some, so you know choose them and then unchoose them and see if that reset 
if anything is going to reset the P list for this, I would think that would. Yeah. So. Interesting. Interesting. Huh? That's, um, yeah, I would have said Onyx. That's a, that's a bizarre one. I haven't seen that. I'm trying to think of, you know, why that would happen. And I did like, yeah, obviously it doesn't, it's, it's not coming to me. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, all I can imagine is no, I mean, I mean, is it getting confused about the size of the monitor? No, no, no. no it's displaying. Really. I mean, based on his screenshot, it's it's displaying things and knows the size. Like all the other buttons are where they should be. It's just you know mm -hmm. all of his his user icons have shifted to the left. It's weird. Yeah, I I, if, mm -hmm. I I wonder if there would be any like security reason for. I, I guess if they're always going to the same place, then no. You know, I, I'm wondering if there's a security reason for having them move around so that you can't automate some like click here, type this and, you know, hack your way in. I mean, I don't think that's what's going on here. I'm just trying to I'm spitballing, John, but I don't have an answer. So, mm -hmm. all right. Uh, Andrew has a question about time machine. He says, is it necessary to use APF APFS formatted SSDs or hard drives? for time machine backups, or is it just a matter of preference? Is there any advantage or disadvantage of using HFS plus journaled instead of APFS for uh, the destination drive connected to my Mac? So you can use either. Uh, but as we noted earlier, we have found that any time machine backups created fresh since 11.1, I think it's 11.1 uh, have really been leveraging those snapshots and such. So, there is an efficiency benefit, especially for direct attached drives. So, yeah, if if I were doing a time machine backup to a direct attached drive, I would definitely use APFS today uh, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, you know, if you've if you've got one and it's running HFS plus and and you're not upset with speed or anything, you can leave it. It's it's going to be OK. But if you need to create a new one, I would almost almost certainly require uh, recommend doing APFS for that. It will be way faster from what we've seen uh, as you know, because it's using snapshots and therefore getting through the initial sort of prep step way faster. Cause it's essentially letting the file system do its job, which is cool. That's, you know, mm -hmm. it's nice that it's nice that that's sort of in there and thought of, which I like. So cool. You want to take us to Chris, John? All right, Chris says, I have been using a Mac for 13 years now, and I have a very small annoyance that has nagged at me in every iteration of the OS. I work almost completely from the desktop. If it's on the desktop, it's something that needs to be done. A clean desktop for me is like my inbox zero. I use Quick Look and Item Info a lot as well to speed up things. Item info, which is a command J, and then check show item info on my desktop only seems to refresh after a reboot. I can manually do this by turning it off, then back on again. Is there any way to get this to refresh itself? Uh, first on, I never thought of doing command J and show item info to, to make something happen. But um, uh, something does happen, not what I expected. It, um the way I have it set up, it just showed additional info. In my case, like the dimensions of the pictures, because most of what's on my desktop are screenshots. Sure. Because that's where Apple puts them. Um, uh, the only thing I could think of, you may want to, I, I think you're going to have to give it a little nudge to update. 
um, to update this. So it could be, so one day if there's finder, view, cleanup selection, or cleanup by. Okay. So cleanup will rearrange them. Um, that's one option. Another one actually that I see, if you right click, same thing. If you right click on the desktop, it'll say sort by, and you get all these different options here. Maybe sure. do one of those. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that the desktop, believe it or not, Dave, is actually a folder. So maybe going to the finder and using that and listing that folder will show you the updated info and you're using, you can use the finders criteria. Um, now, where is that though, you ask? Well, it depends, Dave, I think. Uh, if you're running I iCloud Drive, it's going to be iCloud Drive desktop. Um, and you choose that when you set up iCloud. Documents and desktop can be stored in iCloud. Otherwise, I think, Dave, it's uh, your home folder and then desktop, I think, is where the desktop folder can also be, right? Uh, yeah, that's correct. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's spot on. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree. Yeah, and it's actually, and it should already be in the sidebar somewhere. I think it usually is by default. So by default, yeah, you could it. remove it, obviously, but yep. Um, the other thing, and this is more of a workaround than an actual fix. There is an app from our friends over at ManyTricks.com called Desktop Curtain, which is primarily built, I think, I think of it as being built for when you need to present something and share your screen and you don't want people to have to see your messy desktop. Uh, and so Desktop Curtain will just hide all the clutter and show things and you're good to go. You can also accomplish that by moving to a different space um, or a separate user account, of course, in, in those scenarios. But um, but, you know, there you go. So um, but, yeah, I, I like uh, I, I like these options. And, yeah, using the I, your idea of using the folder, John, I think that's probably the best one because it's really you can sort by kind and, you know, see them as a list, sort by kind, make things super easy. That's how I clean up my desktop folder is exactly that um, because it because I can, you know, be more efficient about it. So, yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. Fun, fun. All right. We are plowing through stuff here. This is excellent. I like it. David has a question, John. Let's see if we can get him answered. He said, uh Greetings, gents. Uh, somehow my rabbi considers me to be an expert in AV, which I am not. Uh, below is her question regarding the setup for an outdoor uh, bar mitzvah. Any thoughts on how we can accomplish her request? So her question is, she says, uh, I've come to realize that when multiple voices are leading in services, whether inside or outside in the same space and being streamed to Zoom, we need a way for multiple microphones to be attached to one Zoom feed. When we only have one microphone, but sound coming from multiple points in the room, the sound is choppy. And that's because Zoom is trying to do echo cancellation. And, you know, when you get really far away from a microphone, the sound level is lower, right? Especially if you don't have all the compression and stuff that I do because I'm crazy here in the studio. Uh, that will, um, you know, Zoom will start to chop things out, which makes sense. Uh, she continues. She says, we own three USB plug-in mics. Uh, of various kinds and would like to know how to do this. So yes, absolutely. This is, th there is a solution here. Now, normally I would over-engineer the heck out of this and say, you need to use audio hijack and grab the sources from each of those three microphones 
and point them to a loopback device, which is another app, and then set that loopback device as your sound input on uh, on Zoom. And certainly, if you have all of those tools, it would work. However, there's a much better solution, and that solution is built right in to Mac OS. It is called aggregate audio devices. So what you do is, and the idea behind an aggregate audio device is exactly what it sounds like. You create one audio device that sources from multiple. So you are literally pulling them all together. Um, and the way you would do it is you go into uh, um, uh, audio MIDI setup. I don't know if it's lost my train of thought there, which is in the applications utilities folder. And then in the lower left, you hit the plus sign and create an aggregate device. And then you check the use box next to all of the USB microphones you have. Uh, when you do that, one of them will not have, if you look on the right, this and this is important because things will get weird. Uh, when you have different audio devices, they are using their own clocks, uh, system clocks in terms of like pacing the audio. When you have multiple devices, you can't do multiple clocks. Uh, because over time they will start to drift and things will get very, very strange. So there is a box for drift correction. Check that for all but one of your microphones. You want one microphone to sort of be the master and then the others will get drift correction. Big Sur automatically checks the right drift correction boxes most of the time, but not all the time. Make sure of this. Uh, and and there's some advice. The listener Devin sent in some uh, who is by the way who is the creator of the uh app called black hole which lets you sort of funnel audio in in creative ways it's sort of like loopback but um but free and so he uh he pointed out that if you set up a multi output uh aggregate device with your headphones and things like that uh, uh you have to set up, you have to use your built-in audio as the first device. You can mute it. It's fine. But uh, if you're having trouble, it needs to be a two-channel device that you start with in this scenario. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's the magic answer. You set up this aggregate device. It'll pull things together and then, uh, and then, you know, you're good to go. So that, that should do it. And then, and then what you do is once you've pulled all these together, you set that aggregate device as the input in zoom. So you set that as your microphone and then in theory, all should be well, at least that's the plan, John. I love that Apple does this stuff for us. So it's good. You can still hear me, right? Even though I've, I've been messing with audio MIDI setup. Is that right, John? Hello. Hello. Thank you. Appreciate it. Cool. All right. Uh, good, 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 good. Okay. Now, how's my sync? I had to reset audio, but I chose a different device to switch to and then switch back to the board. I don't know. I think your sync is good. If you can hear me right now, can you hear me right now? Okay. I think what I, the, the thing is what I was doing. So the suggestion of the developer was switch to another preview audio device and then switch back okay. to the board. Yeah. I was switching to the Thunderbolt thing, which maybe wasn't the best choice because, you know, it took a while to yeah. deal with it. This time I chose Mac mini speakers, which, you know, is right there. Ah, so. Okay. And we are so in sync. Be because you can hear me right now. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. We're, yeah, we're definitely in sync then. All right, good. All right. You found a solution. Excellent. 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 Cool. 
Audio fun. Audio fun. And the fact that you can hear me answers my question as to whether I messed with uh, audio hijack. So cool. Thank you, David, for that question. And thank you, Devin, for your, um, your assistance there. You want to take us to joy, John? Yes. Um, Joy says Gmail is my email program. I use Apple messages. Is there a way I can use one contract slash address program that could be used by both Gmail and Apple messages? I am currently using Google contacts for Gmail and Apple contacts for Apple messages. I'm currently using contact sync to try and keep both in sync, but I keep getting duplicates and would like to find one contract address program that could be shared by Gmail and Apple messages. Is there any hope? Um, I'm not sure I have a really great answer, Dave. Um, I only have a single address book, so I tried to replicate this. And as you probably know, so what I actually did is um, in internet accounts, um, one of mine is a, is a, a Gmail account. Sure. Uh, my Mac Observer account. So, um, uh, so for each of the accounts that you have, contacts can be one of the options. And in my case, it was only set for iCloud. So I set it for one of my Gmail accounts as well. Um, what that does is makes it a new category in contacts or Apple contacts, right? Mm-hmm. So I tried that. And then... Um, and then when you have that ability in contacts, there are some options like they have contacts card menu in the contacts card menu, like link select cards. Um, so maybe that would merge them properly for you. So you would have all the info in both places. No, I don't think it um, puts it in both places. I think Apple contacts will see it. Uh, or things leveraging Apple mm. contacts will see it, but things that are only looking at Google contacts, like on Google's mm. end, I don't think it's actually syncing data between them. I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure that's just sort of merging them in, in terms of how it's presented to us, not in terms of all the data. I could be wrong though. Um, but I think that's why contact sync exists. She, um, which is what she mentioned. And I think it's this app from Playa apps for 10 bucks in the app store which, which, you know, actually does that syncing of, of those things. Um, yeah. The thing I, I didn't like in contacts is the interface isn't really good because if I did have two cards highlighted, it wasn't clear to me which cloud they were in or which account they belonged to. It just didn't show it. Um, now the good news that what you may want to try, yeah. you may want to try a, a better program like busy contacts. Now, busy contacts um, would access my same databases um, or contact databases, but it gave me more information when I try to highlight multiple cards and fiddle with them. So maybe give busy contacts a try. I mean, I could because it's part of setup last I checked. Sure. I it is searching for it on my machine and it showed up. I'm like, Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 That might, that might be the answer here. I, it's, contacts are weird. I, I have found, and this may well be something very specific with my contacts databases, but if I have more than one contacts engine, like enabled, so, uh, you know, Apple contacts is fine. And I would always have that enabled, 
But if I then enable, say, my Google contacts or my exchange contacts that I because I have an account at the university where I am doing teaching this class, then they have an LDAP server so I can connect to that, um, which is super handy at times. But anytime I have more than just my Apple contacts, I routinely see, you know, some address book sync engine running in the background at full clip, no matter how many CPU cores I have on my Mac. And it, it like there's something going on there and it, it, it seems not right. So I don't know if it's something about my Apple contacts and, and the way that it, like you said, is trying to like intuit some mergeability of things. Maybe I have too many contacts. I don't know, but life is good. If I only have one contacts and you know, one contacts sync checked being Apple contacts. If I add anything else, things get a little wonky for me. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Alex also says, go to the, the contacts app, go to the card menu and look for duplicates. Uh, I wound up doing that and that that helped clean things out for sure. Yes. For me. Yeah. 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 Um, Paul Franz has an interesting thought for her, John. Is there any reason she could not just enable Google contacts and disable Apple's contacts. That way her devices would all, and she would need to do this on each device she owns, but that way everything she does with contacts would only be syncing to Google contacts. And therefore anything she does on Google's side would see all her up-to-date changes. And of course, all of her Apple devices would see up-to-date changes because they're only looking at Google contacts. That's a very interesting thought for Paul friends. Thank you. That would that's probably the right answer for her. If Google contacts are sort of a necessary part of her workflow, why not just standardize on that and that alone? Maybe that's the simple answer. I like it. Yeah. I mean, the simple answer for me was I only have one database. Mm. Right. That's I mean, so that's the suggestion. Is there any way you can have a single authoritative database? Yeah, um, I like it. And you would think it's an easy problem, and it sounds like this, uh, you know, sync program is is trying to deal with it. Yeah. Um, she makes mention that um, they have some settings that say you may not want to use them, or they're going to destroy everything. And, sure. Uh, that was another suspicion. But no, it's at some point. Yeah, I think you got to do. I mean, it's it's unpleasant. Usually I did this recently where I had tons of duplicates because in the past you could link Apple's address book to LinkedIn and Facebook and all that stuff. And it left those entries behind at some point. So right. I had like tons of duplicates. And one day I just went through it and I'm like, you know what? Just find all the duplicates. And I had to do like multiple runs. Yes. Because like you said, it, it tries to do its best when merging or removing duplicates and Sometimes it has trouble because you got to run it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I found I ran, I had to run it like four or five times before it was like, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I'm not finding anything. It's like, okay, great. Before you do that, you want to make a backup of your contacts database and you do that by, and I'm opening contacts with trepidation because it always seems to like to do a lot of things when I open it. But uh, if you launch contacts, go to the file menu, do export and do a contacts archive that is the best way to do a backup of contacts in my experience. It, um, 
you, you, certainly time machine and any other backup that you're doing that includes your home folder will grab your contacts. But that backup is the easiest from which to, I've found to restore, which is sort of the key of, of the backups. So, yeah, cool. And Pastor T at live.macgeekup.com also says that uh, he ha uses one. I'm assuming Pastor T is a he. My apologies if you are not. Uh, but Pastor T uses just one contacts database and it is just Google. And that makes life easier. I like this idea. Yeah, that's right. And Pastor T says this also works for calendar data, too. You can not use Apple's calendar sync. You can use Google's only. And all your Apple devices will be totally happy with this. Um, just turn that syncing off and you're fine. It, they, they, they speak Google very, very well. So, yeah, it's good. Cool. I like this. All right. We have time for a couple of cool stuffs found. Maybe more than a couple, John. I will start with one that fits into our world backup day uh, conversation. And this is, this is from Stefan of Haystack Software, the, the founder of, um, of that and the person who is at least the chief programmer on ARC Backup, ARQ Backup is how we say that. He says, uh, we're adding an immutable backup feature to, our, uh, to ARC. He says, with ransomware attacks on the rise, immutable backup provides real protection by preventing attackers from deleting your backups. He says, I think it's unique in the marketplace. It brings an enterprise feature, object lock, to a consumer-priced backup app. And uh, we hope to be shipping it by World Backup Day, which is on uh, March 31st. So thanks. A, thanks for the confirmation of the question I asked at the beginning of the show. And uh, and B, this is fantastic. Yeah, and he's got a blog post about some object lock. Uh, and I think we're actually going to have him write something a little more in depth for us at Mac Observer too. So thank you for that, Stefan. Very, very cool stuff found indeed. John, you want to take us to, uh, to Simon on your cool stuff found list? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to ask, is immutable the same as non-fungible? Uh, I, th I think no. I mean, <laughs> sort of, but, but no, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, intent and, uh, grammar, uh, whatever. Yes. What am I looking Who am I looking for here? I'm I think sorry. you're looking for Simon. If, if, um, yeah, there he is. If okay. life, if life tells me anything. So yeah, go ahead, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to let you know about something really cool for bedroom charging. Uh, if you have bought a new iPhone and used the MagSafe charger, you can now have it built into your table or nightstand using this simple 3D printed schematic. I Google MagSafe, I Googled MagSafe flush mount and found the design on thingiverse.com. Uh, I then found a 3D printer company that does one-offs and uploaded the design about uh, 10 pounds later. I had the plastic ring that allowed my MagSafe to sit in my bedside table. It's really tidy and also no light, so I can sleep well when my phone is charging safely. Plus, I won't knock my phone off in the middle of the night. You can use an IKEA drill set, and it fits where my old IKEA cheap pad was. Okay, cool. That's pretty cool. I like this idea. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just fits right in the in the little grommet uh, hole there. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Smart. Yeah, I've I've seen some others um 
or when 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 some companies were showing chi chargers, I remember them. One proposal was, "Hey, we'll put it in the you know the table, like in a hotel room." Sure, you know that yeah. would be handy, and maybe some hotels do. I don't know. Right? Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool, <laughs> fun, fun. And when we go to hotels ever again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think we will. I I think that 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 glimmer I occasionally see on the horizon, John. I think is the light at the end of the tunnel. I, I like I am hopeful that that's actually happening. So it seems like, you know, vaccines are even easier and easier to get. It seems like that's going to be our path out of it, especially here in the U S which is, um, mm-hmm. it's nice to see things moving forward. So, um, yeah, I'm still fishing. But, you're still um, fishing. Yeah. I've heard Connecticut is, <clears throat> is tricky to get an appointment for sure. Unfortunately. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, wish, well there's multiple, there's multiple systems, unfortunately, but you gave me a board that uh, a Facebook group that tries to point you in the right direction. Yeah, I guess, you know, letting you know as soon as, hey, you know, these guys just announced. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. That was one of those things. In We mentioned a couple episodes ago that there was an article uh, that we linked to about, you know, figuring out your, you know, where you can get vaccine appointments in your state and they gave many tips. We shared a couple of them, but one of them that we didn't share that it seems like is, is helpful, at least for a lot of folks down in, down your way, John in Connecticut is Facebook groups that, that do exactly this. So yeah. And bookmarking the pages that, that you are, that you, you know, that you need to visit so that you can just pull them all up in one fell swoop. If you do a bookmark group in Safari, um, which is a bookmark folder, I guess, sorry. Uh, you can, you can put that in your favorites bar and then you can say open in new tabs and that will open all of those pages at once in new tabs. So um, I've used that for years. Uh, this is okay. So now we're getting into different tip realm here, but I've used those bookmark tabs uh, groups for years for things like um, I, I, I do it for all my uh, personal finance stuff. So that I know that I can just go through and this will get me to, you know, Amex for my cards there and Citibank for my accounts there and discover and, you know, maybe some of my retirement accounts or the college saving plan. And it's just like all at once, everything's open and I can just go through each one when I do my finances once a month and it's all just right there. I don't need to remember where to go. They're in a group and I open it and it's done. And when I'm finished, I I know I'm at the end and I'm good to go. Uh, I also have one. You know, I've got a bunch of smart switches in the house, John. And so I use bookmark, uh, a bookmark tab folder for, or uh, yeah, bookmark tab folder for those. And when I want to see my switches, I just say, boom, and it pulls them all up and their web interfaces are there and I can just switch around, which is handy. So, um, so, you know, yeah, use them for your, for your vaccination sites. If you've got multiples so that you can pull them all up and, you know, go through. Mm-hmm. So, Yep. All right. Uh, I have a review of sorts um, as a cool stuff found. This is um, from Solo New York. It's a case. And I've really liked their stuff over the years. They last um, there. They look good. And this is the Ludlow Universal Tablet Sling. It says that it's 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 small. The the padded compartment there is built to hold tablets up to twelve point nine inches. I can fit. 
my MacBook Air in this thing, which is the same. It, it's mine is the M1 Air, but same form factor as the 2018 and you know 2019 Airs. So, um, so that that fits in there, and then it's got um, two zippered compartments on the front. One for that's got some organizational stuff in it for like you know your pens and your chapstick and like you know whatever. And then uh, another zippered pocket that for just like, you know, your charger and things like that, that you can easily fit in there. It's got a little, it's a sling. So it's got a thing that can go over your shoulders. Super, um, super lightweight. It does not have a water bottle pouch, uh, but obviously it's built to be small. So it makes sense that it would not have that. But, um, but, you know, for me, like when I'm going to teach my class at, at, at the, at UNH here, this is a perfect thing. Cause I don't need to lug all my crap with me. I just need my laptop, my uh, USB dock so that I can plug into, you know, the, the owl and the TVs in the room so that people can see whatever I'm, I want to show them. And uh, it's available on Amazon. It's, it's, it's inexpensive at like 27 bucks and you can get it in a couple of different colors. Um, so yeah, anyway, that's, uh, that's my, that's my new favorite little, uh, little thing. So yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Hey, one last cool stuff found. I'm going to try and sneak it in here, John, if that's okay. Unless you have any questions about the, the tablet sling or anything like no. that. Okay. Um, Go. Is, uh, I, I went to South by Southwest recently, John, and you know, like that meant I did it over zoom or I used their connected app on my TV to watch movies and sessions, which, which they really, in fact, that was really, really well done. And there was, um, this thing that I got to check out called space explorers, which is the ISS experience. And they had a couple of previews of this. They have put together 360 uh, immersive, it, it, this immersive experience, which you can do with all types of different VR vehicles, including like the Google cardboard, or if you've got an Oculus, like, you know, you can, it, it all works. So you can do it with your phone. If you, if that's your best bet, or you can do it with something else. And it really puts you in the International Space Station. It, very, very cool stuff, the way that they've put all this together. And they, they had a little movie and a session about how they had put all this together. And then they let us sort of experience some of these previews. So I will put a, uh, a link in the show notes to an article about this, too, so that you can kind of follow the path and, and mess with it when, it when it becomes available for all of us. So, um, yeah. So this is the stuff I love about South by Southwest. And I was glad to be able to get to do some of that this time. Um, I'm looking forward mm -hmm. to actually attending in person again next year, but, uh, but you know, there you go. So, yeah, actually I got to go through my emails. I think there's a Synology thing coming up and I think okay. there's a show stoppers. Okay. Was All it right. a show stoppers or one of the other, uh, sure. Yeah. Are th those are those in person or those. In person? No, or, no, no, no. No, okay. They're all they're all virtual. Virtual, uh, remote at the moment. I don't like to use the term virtual for these things. Um, you know, we and it because you know, we we have been a remote company for years. And I, I definitely mm -hmm. don't think of us as a virtual company because you know, we don't pay virtual taxes. We pay very real taxes, <laughs> you know. So until the government lets me pay virtual yep. taxes, I'm not calling any of this stuff virtual. It's it's remote. Right, is, right, right. right. You know, that's, that's just, but that's just me hacking my own brain. So, you know, mm -hmm. that's how I go. Cool. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, folks. This was, uh, this was a fun one. I, um, I mean, they're all fun, yeah. but yeah, it's good. 
I so hopefully the ISS, ISS experience didn't let you experience space junk colliding with it. I had no space junk to speak of. No, that's right. Yeah. Good. All was good. In that. Now, I don't know if you, I, I heard a thing on, uh, I saw a show the other day when they were talking about a company that is going to be building a platform to retrieve space junk. Apparently there's lots of space junk. There is there. lots of space junk. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, uh, something flying at you at several thousand miles an hour um, could could be a bummer if it pose a problem. The ISS. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's not really built with with uh, with defensive shields, to my knowledge. So, yeah. Hey, I, I, wanna, yeah, I think they had an incident a while ago. But anyways, go. No, 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 no. It's it's all good. I mean, it's this is what we do. We're nerds. We we talk about stuff that nerds like. I but I want to take a minute. I mentioned our uh, premium at macgeekab.com email address earlier in the show, and I want to talk about our premium program specifically. I want to thank those of you whose contributions to our premium program have come in in the last couple of weeks here. And uh, you can learn more about it at macgeekab.com/slash/premium. It is not mandatory. It is definitely you know optional. But it is very much appreciated and a huge part of our, you know, structure here that lets us do the things that we do and we appreciate it. So thanking uh, all of you whose subscriptions have come in. Pierre Timo, thanks so much. Gary from Babylon. Abel from Santa Rosa. Peter from Auburn. Bob, Dr. Mac from, uh, from Austin. James from San Antonio. Abdullah from Reisterstown. David from Chicago. Ari from Kensington, Joe from Redondo Beach, Michael from Littleton, Timothy from West Windsor, Nick from Mount Clemens, Domenico from Holbrook, Graham from Glebe, Bob from Lepeche, Brian from Danbury, Santiago from Palm City, John from Wake Forest, Paul from Lee, Dimitri from Moscow, Ken from, uh, from Kailua, of course, Ken from Kailua, Craig from Costa Mesa, William from Getzville, Kevin from Edison, Erica from Netcong, Juliet from Alexandria, Michael from Robbins, Larry from West Bloomfield, Mike Matthew from Forked River, Chris from Chorleywood, Andrew from Honolulu, Jeff from Chesterton, Royce from Ewa Beach, Bill from Duxbury, Fernando from I'm not sure where, David from Owensboro, James from Melville, Joseph from Marietta, Bryn from Sun City, Michael from Spencer, Robert from Columbiana, Stephen from Plainfield, Dave from Saugerties, John from Vienna, Robbie from Hendersonville, Sharon from Wesley Chapel, Frank from Tunbridge, and Randy from Westport. Thanks to all of you for all of that and really just for all that you each do. Um, you, are, uh, you are all rock stars in our book, so thanks so much. Uh, if you want to do something else for us, leave us a review. Go to MacGeekUp.com slash reviews. That's as close as we can get you. And we would love to have you review the show or update your review if it's been more than six months since you, since you did your last one. You got anything for them, John? Anything to ask of them to share? Maybe a place they can mm -hmm. find us? Um, hey, there's always Twitter, right? There is. And we're on Twitter, are we? He is Dave Hamilton. I am John F. Braun. The podcast is Mac Geek Gab. The publication is Mac Observer. And there's also Pilot Pete, who we're going to get Pilot must Pete be back doing in a lot the of studio. piloting these days. He is because we haven't seen. Him. Yeah, Pilot Pete's got his own plane in addition to the planes that he flies for, uh, for you know, for somebody else. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. Yeah, if you got a quick one, uh, Twitter, Twitter's good for that. It is. Um, in addition to obtaining all sorts of useful and 100% accurate information i found. <laughs> That's right. Twitter, Twitter is fantastic for that. The information you get from us yeah. is 
we try to make it 100% accurate. And if not, we will correct ourselves or we will allow you to correct us. It's sort of how it goes, kind of like mm-hmm. we do in the show here. So thanks so much for listening, everybody. Hope you have a fantastic week. I hope uh, I hope you are able to get your vaccines whenever that it can happen, as quickly as that can happen, really. If, if you are offered one, take it, please. Move it forward. I would. That's that's my request of you. Thanks to our sponsors, of course, Otherworld Computing and Amazon.com slash MGGRX. You can learn about the rest of our sponsors at geekab.com slash sponsors. John, any advice for them before we uh, before we send everyone on their way? Oh, I always have advice. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's actually pretty useful. And uh, the advice that I have for all of you is don't get caught. Made up.